Our Old Testament reading this morning is selected verses from Isaiah 60, starting at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Thank you, Ian. Our New Testament reading is found in Acts chapter 4, as you already know. Peter and John have just been released from jail following their arrest for proclaiming Christ raised and saviour to all. So it's Acts 4, starting at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's a guy who bought a parrot, but when he got it home, he realised that it had a bad attitude and it had even worse language. So he tried everything he could to change the bird's attitude and to clean up its talk, but nothing worked. Finally, in a moment of desperation, he picked up the parrot and he put it in the freezer, as you do. (laughs) For a few moments, he heard squawking and bashing against the door, and then all of a sudden, everything was quiet. He opened the freezer door. The parrot stepped out again, as it does, and said, I'm sorry that I offended you with my language and actions. I ask for your forgiveness. The guy was astounded at the change in the bird's attitude and was about to ask what it was that changed him when the parrot continued, by the way, may I ask, what did the chicken do? (laughs) Change. This morning, we're going to think about change. And yes, I used the change word. Hopefully, over the last few weeks, we might have changed the way we view what we do every day. We've hopefully come to realise that the way we live out our faith in our day-to-day lives is so incredibly important. 
that God can use us in the places where we spend our time every day, the places where we meet people who are not Christians, and the places where God has put us, put us so that we have the possibility and the potential to reach out to others. It's all about what we do not hear on church on a Sunday morning, that's very important, but it's about what we do every day. And that requires a change of perspective. I hope we've all experienced what it's like when we view our front lines as our mission field and how what we do here in church should equip us for what we do every day. And this morning, we're thinking about what it means to have a frontline commitment, to be committed that not only do we do stuff out there, that we share our faith with those people we come across, but that we're prepared to allow that to affect what we do here too, that we're perhaps a little bit open to change. So what difference does our work out there make in here? That's what we're thinking about. What difference does the fact we're reaching out to others where we are make to our life as a church, in our small groups, in our youth group? Does it make a difference? And how do we adapt to that? So let me ask you this. Are you ready for change? Change is a big deal. Are we ready to change in order to be fully equipped on our front lines? Are we ready to change so that we might better support each other to do the things that we do every day? And are we ready to perhaps change because we welcome people in who perhaps don't speak like us, act like us, or just like us? I'm absolutely certain that if I was to ask you that question, then we'd say, of course we are. But actually putting it into practice is an entirely different uh, thing. So as we begin to bring the front line with all its challenges and opportunities into the life of our church, by sharing what happens out there in here, then things need to change. Letting the outside in will change our normal patterns of doing stuff. It will change our normal routines. And we run the risk of discomfort. Let me give you a few examples. In Acts 9, 19 to 31, we have Saul. He was a changed man. He went from persecuting Christians to being a Christian. And the early church didn't at first trust that he was as genuine as he said he was. But he was, of course. In Acts 11, uh, 1 to 18... Peter shared the word of God with Gentiles, which was definitely not the done thing. And in both those cases, the church felt uneasy and uncomfortable, but came to realise that change is necessary for the mission of the church to continue. The US uh, standard uh, railroad gauge is four foot eight and a half inches. Why is it such an odd number? Well, that's because uh, that's the way they built them in England, and it was American uh, railways were built by British expatriates. So why did the English adopt that particular gauge? Well, that's because uh, uh, the pre-railroad tramways used that gauge as well. They, in turn, were locked into that gauge because the people who built the tramways used the same standards and tools they had for building wagons, which were set on a gauge of four foot eight and a half inches. So why were wagons built to that scale? Well, because with any other size, the wheels did not match the old wheel ruts in the road. 
So who built these old rutted roads? Well, the first long-distance highways in Europe were built by the Romans for benefit of their legions. The roads have been used ever since. The ruts were first made by Roman war chariots. Four foot eight and a half inches was the width the chariot needed to accommodate the rear end of two war horses. Maybe that's the way it's always been. Isn't a great excuse that some people believe it to be. How much are we prepared to change in order to fully support each other in our work on our front lines? And actually, for the sake of the kingdom of God, how much are we prepared to let go of in order that other people might have the chance to hear about Jesus? Times change. And I'm not saying that in a way that, you know, we've got to water stuff down because I don't believe that at all in this age of political correctness. Not at all. But how we do things, well, that's where we can be flexible. That said, as we know, we can't just sit around and wait for people to come to us. We need to go to them where we are, which is what life on our front line is all about. If you think about it, Jesus never said, uh, come to the synagogue. Yes, he went and taught there, but his message was go. Go into all the world and make disciples. And we, of course, need to do the same. A generation ago, we could wait for people to come in because times were different. Most people went to church, at least to Sunday school, if not to church. And if you're of that generation, you probably sang hymns in assembly and heard Bible stories at school when you were young. Church was familiar. It was normal a generation ago, but today it's a very different picture. God is being pushed out of schools. Bible stories are told alongside those of other religions. And so many things demand time on a Sunday morning that not many people just drop into church as once they did. So that means that we have to have a 21st century view of how we do church. And if we're serious about welcoming people in, then inevitably that will mean change. And I know this isn't news, but the church is you. It's not our building lovely as it is, but it's you and it's me, it's all of us. We talk of coming to church, but actually we are the church. In this building we meet together and we worship. That's what we're here for. We worship through song, through prayer, through Bible reading. Every aspect of what we do here in the morning, or evening, whatever, is worship. But what we do here is geared to us. It's geared to Christians. Most of the things we do and say will be quite strange to people who have no experience of that. And what we need to do is be committed to lives on our front line. And in doing that, we need to be open to change. We need to break down barriers so that when people do come in, then they feel welcome. I'm sure they feel welcome here, actually. But you know what I mean. They feel like it's something they can engage with. But let's think about what happened with Peter and John in Acts. If you remember, this follows on from when they healed a beggar. And they then were telling people about Jesus. This uh, blind man, a lame man even, he'd been walking and jumping and praising God. His life was totally changed by the power of God. Complete turnaround and it was amazing. And the crowd started to ask questions and so Peter and John told them about God. 
And the religious leaders were not happy with that. They wanted to quieten them down. So they put them in prison overnight. They couldn't decide what to do with them. So the next day they let them go. And we're told in verse 18, which is before the passage we heard, that they then called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach all in the name at all in the name of Jesus. They've been warned not to speak or teach or heal or do anything in his name. So what did they do? They went back to their own people and they reported it to them. And their people supported them. In fact, they prayed for them that God would enable them to speak with boldness. They didn't ask that they'd uh, get away with it. They wouldn't have any more pressures like that. They prayed that God would enable them to speak with boldness. How amazing is that? I wonder if we would do that if the same thing happened. If two of our members went out and got locked up for the night for doing miracles and preaching in, in the name of Jesus and came back to tell us about it, what would our response be? I'd like to think that we also would be found praying for boldness. But here's the thing. We need to commit to each other as a church. And as a church, we need to impact the community around us. And as we do that, we need to make a difference to the community around us. And we need to share our stories and support each other in what we're doing and pray for each other to have boldness and to have courage. But if a church was only a place where we could share good stories and not our troubles, then we've got it wrong. It's good to talk about the good things, but we need to be able to share our difficulties too. Peter was by no means a model disciple. He messed up, but God used him in mighty ways. Let's allow our church to be a place where we can share our failures as well as our successes. We can celebrate with each other and we can help each other out when we feel like we've messed up. We're not alone in our success and we're not alone in our failings either. And to be the kind of church where we really accept each other in such a way, well, that takes commitment. And that's what we're on about, frontline commitment. Commitment to God and commitment to each other. In his book, One Crowded Hour, Tim Borden describes an incident in Borneo in 1964. Nepalese fighters, known as Gurkhas, were asked if they would be willing to jump from airplanes into combat against the Indonesians. The Gurkhas didn't clearly understand what was involved, but bravely they said they would do it, asking only that the plane would fly slowly over a swampy area no higher than 100 feet. When they were told that the parachutes wouldn't have time to open at that height, the Gurkhas replied, oh, you didn't mention parachutes before. That's commitment. Willing to do whatever is necessary, however misguided they might have been. Throughout this series, we've talked about being whole life disciples, totally committed to Jesus, and it's important to remember to do that. Whole life discipleship, God wants to use the whole of your life for his glory. And it's that kind of commitment that he asks of us. We need to follow him with every part of us, not just the parts of our lives that we're happy with. And that's commitment. That kind of commitment isn't easy, but it's essential if we're going to impact the community around us. And let me tell you why. Commitment is catching if our lives are so clearly committed to following Jesus, then people will want to know why. 
They'll see the difference that our faith makes to our lives and they will ask questions. They'll see how important it is for us and they'll want it for themselves maybe. So often I think that this is one of the ways that we don't do ourselves any favours. We try and dumb things down a bit for people so we're not scaring people off. We water things down so that we don't offend anyone. We offer a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, when quite frankly, that's not the Jesus I follow. The Jesus I follow is someone who challenges my view on life, who turns people's lives completely and utterly upside down, who demands everything from us, who requires that we hold nothing back from him. People want to be something, part of something that's worth being part of, and we water it down so it's just another option. We need to make sure that what we offer and how we share our faith is something worth committing to. And to do that, we need to not be afraid to speak with boldness as Peter and John did. And commitment also comes from a basis of love. We serve a generous, gracious God. Peter denied Jesus three times, yet here he was, still following him and still serving him. How would Peter have the courage to go on to work and serve Jesus if Jesus hadn't have forgiven him? Wouldn't it be good if we had that kind of commitment? If we displayed the, that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness and that kind of acceptance to people around us, we wouldn't really need to do much more, would we? And it's not for the faint-hearted. It requires courage and it's costly. Peter and John were men who had courage, but it cost them. They ended up in prison for their faith, but their faith changed lives. The religious leaders saw the evidence that they'd healed this man, and it was only through their confidence and courage, well, through God enabling them, that they were able to do it. They were uneducated men who presented the scriptures as if they were scholars, and they were able to do that because they'd followed Jesus. They could tell that they'd been with Jesus, that they'd spent time with him. And wouldn't it be good if people could tell that we are people who spend time with Jesus? Let's be people who spend time with Jesus, but who commit to action on our front lines. There's no area where God doesn't want to use us. God wants to use you on your front line, and God can use you there. But we need to be open for that to happen. And finally, with commitment, we need confidence. When the Holy Spirit is working through us, then situations that seem hopeless can be completely changed around. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was enabled to speak eloquently to those who were in power over him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. So why do we try and do things in our own strength as so often we do? When we rely on God more than ourselves... We will see God at work in our lives, and our commitment convinces other people. Verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They didn't speak about Jesus in their own strength. They didn't go about the daily lives in their own power, but in the power of the Spirit, in God's power working through them. Don't waste your time by doing your own thing. Let God work through you. If even the disciples who knew Jesus face to face, who saw him perform miracles, who heard his teaching, who they were taught to pray by, 
If they saw him raise people from the dead and saw him raised from the dead himself and spent hours and hours in relationship with them, if they needed the power of the Holy Spirit in them, then so do we. We need the power of the Holy Spirit so we can complete the job. We need the power of God at work in and through us to enable us to do the work we have to do on our front lines. Peter and John had experienced the Holy Spirit many times, yet when they were in this situation, they called on God for a fresh enabling. They knew they couldn't do it unless God was working through them. How do we respond in situations? They prayed for boldness. They asked for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to do the same. Speaking with boldness is a scary thing to do, but God will equip you and enable you if you trust him to. The disciples knew that it was God who was speaking through them. Imagine what we could do if we just spoke about Jesus from our own personal experience in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has equipped us all to do his work where we are. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit, all of us. Not just some of us, not just the most confident or outgoing of us, but everyone. Acts 1 verse 8 says, and I'll finish with this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. No coulds or maybes. God gives us power to do his work. We just need to be open to receive that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you want to use us to make a difference for you. We thank you that we don't have to be anything other than ourselves to be light shining in the places that you've put us. But Lord, we know we can't do it without you. We know that we need your Holy Spirit to help us. So as we wait, we ask that you will fill us with your spirit. Lord God, use us in your power for your glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.